0: What was your favorite video game growing up? And now, some of you may go. Now, define growing up. I'll let you define growing up, however you want to define growing up. All right. So this is this is a postmodern definition of growing up. There. So, uh, what was your favorite video game growing up? Coin-op or console? Coin-op. Defender. Defender. Galaga. Galaga. All right. Pac-Man. Still my Asteroids. Still my all right. Do what? Like little, little League, League, League. baseball. That was, that was actually pretty good. I've got I, I kind of forgot about that one, but I, that yeah I, I did like that one. That was probably my favorite one of my favorite baseball games on the old uh, old school systems there. So my favorite video game growing up on the old school systems was Tecmo Bowl. Tecmo Bowl. Uh, four plays and Bo Jackson. That's all you need to rule the world uh, there. So so you're like, who is Bo Jackson? Um, well, Google Bo Jackson, so um, he lost a hip. Uh, anyway, Tecmo Bowl that, that is my favorite game. And then, and then Madden took over, and, and after that, and Tecmo, like, they had two games, Tecmo Bowl and Super Tecmo Bowl. And, 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 and that was it, because Madden took over, and now Madden rules the world when it comes to football uh, gaming, uh, 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 football video games. But now it's so complex. I have, a, I have a Madden game, but I don't ever play it because it's so stinking complex. All the defensive schemes and all of that, and, 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 and the controllers are so complex. When there's more buttons and giles and dials and, and whatever gypsy things that they have on those things, uh, when there's, there's more of that than fingers, I'm out. All right? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And when you actually have to use all of it, all of your fingers, you know, give me the Atari one button we had in Atari. Give me the NES two button. I'm good. All right? I'm good. So, you know, Tecmo Bowl is, is about as complex as, as, as I get. But the thing is, is that old school is about the more things change, the more things stay the same. What we're really talking about here is the same thing. It's still virtual reality, right? It's a football game. When Jesus came and showed up on this earth, the religious leaders thought that he was changing the entire game. That he was changing everything. He was radical. Jesus was a liberal to the conservatives. Uh-oh. It got kind of tense in here. No. Yeah, whoops. Yeah. Uh, because they thought he was changing God's laws. They thought they would, he was changing how you dealt with people how you dealt with sinful people. They thought he was changing how you dealt with the synagogue. Everything. That he was changing God's word. But really, Jesus, as God, was trying to point people back to God's word. What he actually intended. And so this series, old school, the more things change, the more things stay the same. We're a bit different as a church. It's an understatement. But we don't try to be different. Every church should be different, every church should be unique, every church should have their niche, God given niche. But what are the principles that should stay the same? And actually what Jesus was pointing back to is the time in Exodus when, when God rescued his people out of slavery and he was making them a people. He wasn't making them a nation. That is how he made them into a people. But he wasn't intending to make a nation. And if we as Christians misunderstand that, we will put our hope into making a nation, not being a people of God. So, what are the principles that we need to stand on that Jesus taught about that, that allowed people to stream to him that were far away from God? And then, when we see this occur, see, this t- see the church take over and the disciples take over in Acts, what are the same principles that they taught on that allowed revival to occur? And every revival in the course of history occurred because of these principles. We're going to be in Exodus 13. This is right on the heels of, of Pharaoh saying, Go, get out of here because of the ten plagues. And God finally, finally mashing Pharaoh's heart enough to let them go. Five minutes before, they were slaves. They had been told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, all their life. And now they were completely free. So, what did God do then? Exodus 13, 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a the battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So, God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness. Toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The Israelites left Succoth and encamped in Etham in, on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. Uh, The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from this place in front of the people. Old school principle number one is this. God is near. God is near. God is close. And he proved this. He made himself visible to the Israelites through a pillar of cloud by day. In a pillar of fire by night. But how did this impact their life? This is theology. How does this impact our life? Theology is no good if it doesn't impact our life. If we are just obtaining uh, theological knowledge, but it doesn't impact our, our, our life, who cares? How does God as close impact their life and still impacts our life today? Four words, three ideas. Two words are lumped together. Direction. Practicality. It's an awkward word, but I didn't know a better way to express it. Practicalness. That seemed more awkward. So practicality. And provision and protection. Provision and protection. Two words same basic umbrella. We'll talk about that more next week. Actually, Phil will bring the heat next week on provision and protection. Direction. They came out of Egypt. They had been slaves. Always been told what to do. Never had traveled before. No family vacations. And now they have to make it back to the promised land, going through a desert, having no map, No GPS and no smartphone. Some of you are in cold sweats right now just thinking about that possibility. How are they going to get there? Well, the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, God said, I'm going to direct you by those. When it moves, you move. Wherever it goes, you go. But God, God took them the long way around. Why? Because the short way is the way of the Philistines. You know, the Philistines, the same Philistines that produced Goliath, but they, did you notice that? They were ready for battle. This is, I think this is kind of funny. They were, they were there. They were ready with God. Like, come on, God, here we go. Let's go. I'm ready for battle. We're armored up. And God's like, I don't think so. You were slaves two minutes ago. You don't know how to fight a battle. I don't think so. That's not going to work out well for you. And he took them the long way around. That's important. We're going to get back to that. But he directed them. His presence directed them. Second of all, practicality. It was very practical. The cloud and the fire were very, very practical. When I was church planting in Baldwinsville, when we were church planting in ba- Baldwinsville, New York, outside of Syracuse, we, uh, I, I met a guy who was probably in his, in, in his 80s, and in the 70s, he had, he had worked as a civilian in Iraq. And he said, oh, it was, it was hot, 120, 130 during the day. He said, but at night, it got, it got cold, 90. And you're right, at first you're like, 90, that's not cold. But when you drop 40 degrees to get to 90, he said, you put a jacket on. I mean, imagine. I mean, it's 90s today. Imagine dropping into the 50s tonight. What would you do? Put a jacket on. Anyway, right, yeah, rejoice and put a jacket on. All right? You would put a jacket on. In the desert, it's hot during the day and cold at night. Pillar of cloud. What does that provide during the day? Shade. It's practical, right? Fire. What does that provide at night? Well, you can see it. If it leaves, you can see it. But what does it provide at night? Warmth. God's wisdom and God's presence is going to be practical. And the provision and protection. Protection. We'll see stories next week of how he provided and protected them. If you've been around church and know the story of Exodus, you can, you can think of those stories right now. But God being close meant that he provided for them and he protected them. But he still does this today. I'll tell you a story from, from from our life. Some of you know this story, and you're like, well, why does this have to be your life? I have the microphone. And also, I know my life better than, you, better than your life, and so I can tell my story better than I can tell your story. In 2006, God convicted us about the debt in, uh, that we were in and uh, the insecure, uh, unsecured debt that we were in and how we, we were using our money. Hey, we were still tithing. It was about the other 90% that still God's money. And how we were using that, and God convicted us. We repented. We we went to to great lengths to get out of debt at that time, even selling the house. The, the house, it was that house that you would love to, to to pick up and move to every location you ever lived, you know, for the rest of your life. You know, is that 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 type of house? And selling that, to, we we kind of a little bit of a gold mine there as 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 far as um, as far as principles concerned and everything. And so decided to sell that but it didn't it didn't go as quickly as we had expected but then in 2007, he kind of led our hearts to, instead of being a youth minister, and, and we were in a First Baptist Church, a small town in Arkansas, Hebrew Springs, Arkansas, down in Arkansas, and, and we had some First Baptist Church type issues, but overall, you know, people just kind of ignored what we did in the youth ministry, which, which if, for those of you that know me, that's a good thing, uh, and, and, and they just kind of let us do our, our, our thing, and, and, and they paid us well and, 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 and everything, and, and it, was a, it was a pretty decent decent little gig, and but God kind of, started moving our hearts to, 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 to lead a church, be a senior pastor in a church. Then out, out of that to church plant, we ended up in Baldwinsville, New York, outside of Syracuse, to church plant, and left there in August in 20, uh, 2008, And and you know, high dreams, high hopes and everything, hit the ground running, made great relationships, but things didn't work out. It's a bigger story than what I'm going to go into here, but things didn't work out. It's like our route got longer. The direction that God took us got longer. Ended up at Target. It's a great place to work. If I took you the Target there, 90% of the people would still be working there. The team, the store team leader would probably be like, hey, whenever you want a job, you can come right back and have a job. But it wasn't ministry, right? It wasn't, wasn't what God had de- we felt like God had designed us for. It was another situation. Where he felt like God was taking the long way around sent out resumes. I was too young to be a pastor and church plant fail was on my resume and too old to be a youth minister. So I was in purgatory. Well, minister purgatory, if you will. Just caught in between. Was it working? I had a church in Seattle. It's like you can come up here and be, you know, our English speaking pastor to an Asian church. It's intriguing but then moving, you know, our three kids at the time across the nation from Baldwinsville New York to Seattle that seemed too big like well maybe just hit the reset button and go back to seminary so we moved back to Fort Worth Texas for four months months—oh, months because we began to see that seminary on a target salary was not going to work either So we really hit the reset button and came back to Springfield. No job, quit Target to come back and start refereeing again, soccer again, and landed back here. 2011. Still felt like God was taking us the long way around. In early 2012, came across Cross Point and Everything that we had gone through up until that point kind of prepared us for Crosspoint. Everything Crosspoint had gone through up at that, that point prepared them for me, which was necessary. But still, still, those of you that have kind of been with us for a lot of that time or, or all of that time still probably feel like, you know, at times you kind of feel like God's taken us the long way around. But God taking the long way around. Some of you, some of you, this is why you're here this morning. This is worth the price of admission. God taking us the long way around is about His sovereignty and our faith in His sovereignty. Some of you maybe need to Facebook that so you can remember it. God taking the long way around is about Him being sovereign and us having faith in His sovereignty. See, as Americans, we worship our comfort, our safety, and our happiness. And as soon as God takes us the long way around and, and, and attacks the idols of safety, comfort, and happiness, we start attacking God. Where'd you go, God? God said, I'm right here. I'm directing you. I'm sovereign. This is not the first time I've taken somebody the long way around. You think you're ready for battle, but you don't need to go into that war. I'm taking you the long way around. And it's going to be practical. See, the entire time, by God's grace, we followed God's practical advice with money. Every step of the way until we came to Cross Point, we took a pay cut. To go into church planting, pay cut. To be a church plant failure, that's a pay cut as well. Which to pay cut a church planter's salary, that's saying something. And then when to come here, we had nothing. But we took God's practical advice and said, we're going to tithe and we're going to pay off debt. We're going to tithe, we're going to pay off debt and have a budget. We're not awesome at budgeting, we're not. But $60,000 in 2006 has shrank to 7600 Every step of the way, we tithed, paid off debt, and tried our hardest to spend less than what we make. God's wisdom is practical. If your life is confusing, hit the reset button. His wisdom is practical. And he provided, he protected the entire way. God taking us a long way around is about His sovereignty and our faith in His sovereignty. I wish we could say we had A plus faith during that time. It's about C minus, actually. But you know what? It C minus still is passing pass. We can still say, stand here and say we have faith in God even though I, that, that there was a time when I wondered if it was even worth it. And every step of the way God proved that he was near. through direction, practicality, protection, and provision. For those of you that are thinking, but you know what? I, I don't know that works for you church people. But what about me? I'm too far from God right now. Will he be close to me? You don't know where I've been and what I've done and etc. Well, Mark, the very first thing that Mark said that Jesus said, guy that that wrote down the story of Jesus really through the eyes of Peter. Mark 1.15, The very first words Jesus uttered in the Gospel of Mark is this: "The time promised by God has come at last." He announced, "The kingdom of God is near." The kingdom of God is really Jesus saying, "God is near to you. Repent of your sins and believe the good news." The good news there, that the, the, the good news is the word gospel. The gospel is, is that God is close. The gospel is not, you are bad, get better. That was the gospel according to the religious people. They believed the more things change, the more things have to remain the same. Jesus said the more things change, the more they stay the same. There's a big difference. He said things are changing, but I'm going to point you back to the very beginning. That God was close to the Israelites all throughout the way. Exodus 40 is another spot that we put down. I'm not going to read it, but it's the, end. it's the very last verses of Exodus. And despite all the sin that the Israelites had, God remained close to them. And the last verses of Exodus finished with God saying, I'm still a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. When I move, you move. I'm still here. The gospel says God is close no matter how bad you or I are because we all are bad. I said this here. I don't say it enough and I'll say it again. Jesus did not approve of any of our lifestyles. If you think he doesn't approve of them over there, he doesn't approve of your lifestyle either. But that did not stop him from dying on the cross and proving that he is close. Deuteronomy 7, I put it in, in there, I'll just kind of paraphrase it. says, I didn't choose you because you were awesome. I chose you because I loved you. And I chose you according to my plan and my promise, not because you are awesome. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Sorry, I learned it in KJV. So, only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world, that's the gospel, that he came close, he came near, to prove that he is near to all of us. And his promise is this, 1 John 1.9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful to forgive us. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. His promise is this. I will forgive and cleanse you. Period. His plan is this. Ephesians 2.10 But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive I'm sorry, I read it again. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. His plan is that he is making us into his masterpiece and verse 13 says but now you have been united with christ jesus once you are far away from god how is he making us into his masterpiece once you are far away from god but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of christ he is making us his masterpiece by bringing us close to him through his blood you are his masterpiece and he has a plan for you Bob Ross is a little bit like God. Make a mistake. Make a mistake. God will forgive and cleanse and make you into a masterpiece, baby. Right? Gospel according to Bob Ross. Actually, got it from God. For if, if you are a non-fan this morning, if you come in wondering about Jesus, wondering about the church, wondering about God, I'm too far away from him. The gospel is he is close. And Jesus said to recognize and realize that relationship, you repent, which is simply just a a spiritual word. Really, it's not even a spiritual word. It was just a marketplace word. that, That means you're going in one direction, you turn around and go in the other direction. You repent. That's how you recognize and see that God is close and and, and really unlock all of that direction and and practicality and and, and provision and protection stuff. And actually, when you repent and, and come to the relationship of Jesus, you recognize all of that even before, when you look back into your life before. But for those of you that that is settled, I ask you to raise your level of expectancy of God's presence. I ask all of us, as I was prepared for this message, it convicted me that I do not expect his presence enough in my life or here. See, there's a weird part about Joseph's bones in the story in Exodus. Joseph told his family, hey, 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 I'm about ready to die. Save my bones. God's going to get us back into the promised land. Bury me there. Hopefully your Uncle Joe has never asked that of you. Save my bones, bury me back home. But they saved them for 400 years. No matter how low their faith was, they still expected God to move them back to the promised land. And when they left, whatever their bones were in, they took them. They expected God to move Do you expect God to move each and every Sunday? Do you pray for God to move each and every Sunday? God, save people this Sunday. God, move in my life this Sunday. God, use small group to, 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 to move in my life and other people's lives. Do we expect God to move or do we just come? You must expect and imagine, imagine, imagine a church praying each and every week, each and every day for God. God, move. Raise my level of expectation for you to move in my life and move in lives of people who feel far from you right now. Move. It's our prayer work this week. God, raise my level of expectation of you being close to us. Always. Me, you, Persons person that's never come yet raise my level of expectation that you'll move. There'll be people in the back if you want to talk more about this relationship with God and such. They're not there to judge you or tell you you're bad. They're there to say God is close and you can experience that. For those of us, again, that that's settled, use this time of reflection to ask God, raise my level of expectation. And then worship the one that's proven he's close to you. Let's pray. me, Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, this time, this chance to, as, as a community just to come together and celebrate your closeness. I pray, Lord, that you will uh, raise our level of expectation for you to move and be close to us. Lord, we just thank you. Love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. Pray and worship again the God who's close to all of us.